0: Business owners have so much on their plate that it can get easy to forget about building your wealth and legacy. Today's guest specializes in helping business owners prepare for transitional periods in their business and lives by planning in-depth and custom investment solutions. Stick around to hear from Grant Bledsoe of Three Oaks Wealth. This is Building Passive Income and Wealth Through Real Estate where we guide you through the relentless pursuit of financial independence. I'm your host, Justin Moy, managing partner at Perpetual Wealth Capital, a multifamily real estate investing firm that lets everyday people invest passively in income-producing apartment buildings. Hey, investors. Welcome back to another episode of Building Passive Income and Wealth Through Real Estate. Today, I am sitting down with Grant Bledsoe. Now, Grant is the founder and president of Three Oaks Wealth, a fee-only financial planning firm working with small business owners and medical professionals and those entering retirement. And he's a certified financial planner who helps these professionals get the most out of their money. And he also writes the blog Above the Canopy and hosts popular podcast, Grow Money Business. Grant, we are super excited to have you here today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be on.
0: So let's dive right in. What problem do you and 3 Oaks Wealth look to solve out there?
1: So like you mentioned, 3 Oaks Wealth is a financial planning firm. So most of the people we work with are business owners approaching some kind of transition. Maybe they're buying a business, maybe they're selling and exiting, and the problem that we help people solve, is really what we're in the business of doing is helping people squeeze the most juice from their resources that they possibly can. And as you know, all your financial stuff your cash flow your assets your liabilities your investments your tax stuff your business stuff your estate plan it's all connected somehow and so what we do is help people create a comprehensive financial plan that complements whatever it is they're trying to do in their families and their businesses and their lives and then arrange and manage their resources in the best way to complement all of those things. And when you're transitioning into or out of a business, there are a whole lot of moving parts that go along with that. But in a nutshell, that's what we do.
0: That's perfect. And it's such a community that needs it because entrepreneurs and business owners more than ever, they're just shotgun with resources. I mean, there's tons of plans. There's tons of things out there to do. Sometimes they know they need to make certain plans or certain arrangements, but they're running a business. And sometimes that doesn't always get the attention that there's guys like you who are more versed in those to help guide people to make decisions that fit them and their needs. So what size business do you say? Because business owners can be a freelancer, an entrepreneur, a solopreneur. Are you working with people all over the spectrum as in mostly big businesses, you know, 25 plus employees, 50 plus employees, or what kind of small businesses do you like to work with? Mostly
1: 50 and fewer, to be honest. And the common things that come up there are a lot of our clients have had businesses for a long time. Maybe they've done a little bit of retirement planning. Maybe they have like a 401k. Maybe they own the building in which the business operates. Maybe they don't. But all their time and energy and resources have been put into managing the business and pulling income out of it to sustain their lifestyle. But now it's time for some kind of transition. Maybe they're starting to run out of gas and think about exiting. Maybe it's time to lever up and purchase a competitor or do something else. There's a lot of coordination that needs to happen in all that. Most of our people are smaller businesses we do have a few solopreneurs, but most people have at least a couple
0: employees. Got it. What is something that these business owners get wrong about building wealth? Because I think there's a huge distinction between wealth and income. And maybe a lot of times they're making really great money. But like you said, sometimes that equals burnout or sometimes that's not as sustainable as maybe they'd like it to be. So what is something that these business owners get wrong about building true wealth?
1: I think the biggest thing comes down to this concept that when you have a kid, you think your baby is the cutest infant on the face of the planet. And you and I both have friends and family members who have had kids that are just ugly. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and when you're running a business for a long time, you just kind of fall in love with it because that's what you've poured your heart and soul into over a long period of time. And what I think business owners often get wrong is they think that their baby, their business is sellable and has intrinsic value that they can get something for. And so another way of putting that is they think the business is worth a lot more than it actually is. And there are all these issues that kind of impede that. And 9.99 times out of 10, if your business is sellable, it's not worth quite as much as you think it is. And that has huge ramifications for your personal planning and is a huge reason that you need to diversify some of your assets. You have tax-deductible retirement plans, you have other more traditional investments, you have real estate, you have commercial real estate that the business or yourself could own, which is a very helpful tool. But that need for diversification is massive because people just kind of fall in love with the business that they run every day and don't ever think that it might not be as valuable as they assume.
0: Yeah. And that's something that I saw so often when I was actually in the residential real estate space, brokering residential property is there was a ton of emotional value that they assigned to the property when, to be honest, nobody else cared. They didn't care that you grew up there, that you have memories that you did X, Y, and Z to the kitchen. The market's going to speak for what it's worth. And I think that's something that a lot of people who put a lot of energy into something, it's a reality shock to them. And sometimes they don't like it, or sometimes they think that you're the bad guy for telling them this but it's just the reality. I mean, a lot of buyers aren't willing to pay for whether it's in real estate or businesses, your, I guess, emotional attachment to the entity or to the property. So I've seen firsthand exactly how that plays out with sellers of real estate. And it is definitely a very, very, very prominent thing. Now you hit kind of a trigger word that I love to talk about, especially now probably beyond when this gets posted, but it's tax season right now, right? A tax season just ended. And so you talked about tax opportunities, tax deferment opportunities to build wealth, What are some of the biggest tax-saving opportunities that some of these business owners might miss?
1: Well, the one that comes to mind first is strategic use of a qualified retirement plan. There are all sorts of levers that will provide tax benefits down the road. For example, if you buy the building that your business operates in, that's going to have a little bit of tax benefit year to year and the depreciation and some of the other write-offs and that kind of stuff, which you know a lot about, of course, too. But the opportunity for a 1031 exchange is kind of downstream, way down the road. Most business owners care about tax savings right now. And strategic use of a qualified retirement plan, it might be a 401k. For smaller employers, it might be a SEP IRA or a simple IRA. It might be a profit sharing plan or cash balance. There are all sorts of these opportunities. You know, if you have money left over at the end of the year that you're trying to not pay tax on, Go find someone who's qualified that can guide you into a type of plan that allows you to put the cash into an account. Mm-hmm. Some of it's going to be for your benefit. Some of it will probably need to be for the employee's benefit. And you yeah. get a deduction on everything. And all you're doing is saving for your own future. And in exchange for that, you're agreeing to lock up that cash until you're of retirement age, which is currently 59 and a half. So that's the biggest, most underutilized thing It's kind of plain vanilla. But mm-hmm people think a 401k plan is a 401k plan and that's the only option. These things are somewhat customizable and you can structure it in a way that really complements what you're trying to do on the business side of things and should if you're being a
0: prudent steward for your employees and for yourself. Yeah. And I think that's something that's missed so much as well. Even me before I got into really more of this financial space and the investing space, it's like the 401k is somewhat the gold standard because it just got big maybe 30, 40 years ago when that was just the way that people invested. They put in their 401k and they were killing it in the market. And that was just kind of the gold standard of it. But then when you are at a level where maybe your employer doesn't offer one, or you are the employer and it's up to you to offer one, where a lot of those rules change. You had mentioned some strategies provide tax savings down the road, specifically like exchanges or even depreciation to offset some certain gains and certain income levels. Is that save on taxes today? I mean, setting up that 401k or some of these qualified retirement plans? Because I think when people hear about these plans, there's somewhat two options. There's put pre-tax money in and pay taxes when you take it out, or put post-tax money in and you don't have the taxes when you take it out. Are those still kind of the two options available? And if so, you know, how do you balance those out?
1: More or less, those are the two options available. What you just described is the difference between a traditional contribution and a Roth contribution. And so these days, if you set up a 401k plan, you have the choice to allow Roth salary deferrals. And remember, in a 401k plan, there are two types of contributions. If you establish a 401k plan this year in 2022, you as an employee and all your other employees who are eligible and choose to participate can defer up to $20,500 of their salary. And if you're over the age of 50, it's another 6000 on top of that, I think. So that is a traditional pre-tax deferral. If you take money out of your paycheck, save it for retirement through the 401k plan, you're not paying income tax on that right now. So for example, if you put 10000 away in that manner, you're not paying tax on it now. You probably are investing it within the 401k plan. And so if it grows from 10000 to 20000 a few years down the road, and then you pull it out to help pay for your retirement expenses, now you're triggering 20000 of income that you'll need to pay tax on. You can also make Roth deferrals if you want and pay tax on that $10,000 now. The $10,000 goes into the account, you invest it, it grows tax-free forever, and it's a really great deal. The second type of contribution is an employer contribution. So if you're a business owner out there and you establish one of these things, usually, you will have some kind of obligation to either match what you as an employee and the other employees choose to put in, or just put in money on their behalf, pursuant to their compensation or their age, or there's a bunch of different ways to set it up in variables. That is a contribution that the business makes, and it's always deductible. So most business owners that we run into are trying to diversify, save for their own retirement, yes, but also set something up to get an immediate tax deduction. And that's why the 401k is such a good fit because the employees can choose to participate or not. They can choose to put Roth deferrals in or traditional deferrals, doesn't matter. From your perspective as the owner, every dollar that the business puts in on their behalf is deductible right now. And you can set up some kind of vesting schedule, which promotes continuity in your staffing and kind of hinders people from leaving the company, which is very helpful.
0: Yeah, that answers a lot of the questions of like all the different types of tax strategies, because on one hand, what you've said as well as, hey, you know, there's benefits to it to saving taxes now versus in the future. So I have a fairly, I don't know if it's a tough question for you, but it's something that I've personally struggled with quite a bit. I kind of read some contradicting reports or studies. So let's say that you have those two methods, the traditional or the Roth you pay taxes now, or you pay taxes later, mind you that the later figure is going to be higher, because that money is now growing, and then you're going to pay taxes on a much higher figure. Once we account for inflation and the time value of money now, Do you see one being the quote-unquote better overall option, whether you should pay the taxes now and not have to pay them later, or just pay taxes in the future after inflation's kind of eaten away the dollar value, pay it with cheaper dollars on maybe a higher amount? What is your primary strategy, I would say?
1: My take on that is inflation matters to us, but it doesn't matter to this decision at all, from my perspective. What does matter is what you're going to need the funds for when you plan to pull the funds out, what your income situation is going to look like and what your other financial variables are, to be honest. Because if you're someone who's 25 years old, starting out in your first job, making your first contributions, and you're making $50,000 a year because you just got out of school, you're on a great path. And I would argue that Roth contributions are probably better for you because when you're making 50 grand, you are in a really low tax bracket. And so if you're in a low tax bracket now, but your career trajectory is trending upward and you're going to be in a much higher tax bracket later, then I'd rather get the taxes out of the way when you're paying at a lower rate. On the other hand, if you're 55 and you're an executive in the peak earnings years of your career and you expect your income levels to fall substantially after you walk away from work in like five years, well, then you could probably use the deduction right now when you're in a higher bracket. And so if you're in a high bracket now, but you think you're going to be in a lower bracket later, then I'd rather make traditional deferrals and pay tax on that money later when you're in a lower bracket. Those are not the only variables. Some people will consider, what do we think the tax rate is going to do over time? Yeah, We have historically low tax rates, and that's pretty consistent with the evolution of capitalistic democracies. But a lot of people are looking at the level of our federal debt and they say, holy smokes, we're going to have to tax our way out of this. Why don't I pay the tax now at 24%? Because I think the tax rate is going to go up in the future. Personally, I don't think the tax rate is going to go up in a huge way in the future because that's politically too challenging to do. There are other mechanisms our politicians are probably more likely to use, but that's a consideration a lot of people use when making that decision.
0: Yeah. And I've heard that argument come up a lot more lately. I think there was an article going around about America's future unfunded liabilities being something like $500,000 per citizen, just in Medicare and Social Security. And so a lot of people were seeing that path we're going down saying, oh, shoot, there's a huge bill we have to pay in the future. The Fed's going to have to address this somehow. I'd rather pay the taxes now because taxes are probably not going to go down which is a fair thing to think and just kind of rolling the dice on that. But I like your first strategy of saying, Hey, what can we control? I'm in this income bracket now. Where do I think I will be? Not so much where we think the Fed will be because those things can change, might not change at all, but what are we controlling and how can we make the best decisions based on advice from guys like you who study these things all the time, study the trends, study the data, and really do your best to future project? So let's talk about some alternative investments, because it sounds like you encompass kind of all of those. You've mentioned, hey, buying buildings that your business is in and things like that. Where does real estate investing fit into these people's portfolios? You got to think if they're business owners, they have a somewhat uneven income source, sometimes might be higher or lower month by month or year by year. Do you see real estate and the cash flow it provides kind of helping level out that income overall? Do you see it as being a little bit riskier for people in that position where their income is variable? Or how do you see real estate investing fit into the portfolio of these types of investors?
1: When we say these types of investors, let me paint kind of a specific picture because business owners, that's a really wide demographic, right? There are all sorts of businesses out there. The people that we're generally working with, as we were talking about earlier, have somewhere between like two or three and maybe 50 employees. So there's some stability in the business. We don't have too many of them that are like 100% remote businesses. They all have some kind of physical location where employees congregate and they've been in business for a while. So there is some confidence that revenues are going to persist in the future. So let's keep that as a backdrop. Where real estate fits into a portfolio is it's a good diversifier from traditional stocks and bonds any way you cut it. And the easiest way, in my opinion, to invest in real estate at all is through a diversified real estate investment trust, just like an ETF or a mutual fund. It's really inexpensive. You get a lot of the same tax benefits. You don't have to lift a finger, which is great. Now, a lot of people are interested in buying residential properties, single family, multifamily, commercial real estate, and those can be good opportunities. But recently with cap rates where they're at, the stuff that I've evaluated on one-off basis has just not been a great fit for our clients. Where I do think it is a good fit is when you have the opportunity to buy the building that your business operates in or will, like if we kind of keep going back to, right? If you have a business that's producing, let's call it a million dollars in revenue every year and you pay, I don't know, 50 grand a year in rent, it's just like when you were buying your first house. I'd rather pay money into a mortgage that amortizes that I grow equity in than I would to a landlord in exchange for taking the risk of being a homeowner. Same thing for your business. If you're paying rent to a landlord, that's not growing any equity at all. And the format for this typically that we see is one owner or a partnership, you create another entity, an LLC usually, that you put money into and goes and buys the building. And it can be an S corporation or any other thing. Usually it's an LLC. That LLC then leases the building back to your business and the business pays the exact same amount of rent they were in the first place, all you've had to do is pony up the cash for the down payment, purchase the building, and then take the risk of maintenance and all the other logistics that you know a lot better than me. But it's a helpful diversifier to a traditional portfolio. You do have some concentration risk because you now have a big asset that's one building in one place in one location. But You were paying the $50,000 a year in rent from the business anyway, you might as well pay it to yourself and grow some equity. And that's the calculus that I kind of go through as a wealth manager to evaluate this stuff.
0: I couldn't agree more. Building that equity is so important. And we see some people say, just like that, you're going to pay it anyways. You have to pay your either rent or your mortgage. Something's coming out every single month for your personal and for your business, So if you can be that landlord as well and be the person benefiting on both sides of that, that's something that's extremely powerful and something that I think people don't truly grasp sometimes of how much impact that can have on you, your financial well-being. So I really like a lot of the things that you said. I think there is just so much more to dive into. I mean, this episode could be two plus hours because every single circumstance is different. Every single person's different. I really want to give people the opportunity to reach out and get specific and personalized and a custom plan or solution from you if they feel that that's appropriate. So, how can people get a hold of you, Grant, and who should maybe reach out?
1: Sure. I will share that in just a moment, but I want to make one more point about the benefits of owning the building because you're right. This is a deep topic. I won't go on for too long. But when you, as the individual, own that building that's leasing space to your business, think about your own retirement plan. If your plan is to build this thing up and then sell it and walk away, then you own the business that the buyer is leasing space from, and you're leasing to the business that you know better than the buyer who occupies it, right? If you're getting into commercial real estate in general, there's always this risk of, I don't know that much about the tenants. What if they're not a stable business and they go belly up and they can't pay rent? I have to worry about eviction. And Consistency is always a risk that you're kind of concerned about. That risk, it doesn't go away entirely, but it's... A great income driver after you exit your own business and step into retirement. And it's worked really, really well for a number of our clients. Yeah. Um, so, I even is-
0: think about that aspect of it because you really do when you're leasing commercial space, it's vetting that tenant is just a hardcore process. Yeah, you know, This is not a 12 month lease. That's just a person, and oh, if they have five pay stubs. Perfect. I mean, there is a lot that goes into it. You got to know about the industry, about the business, about the business owner. And you're 80% there already. You just got to know who the new owner is. So excellent point. I really, really like that you brought that up.
1: So my firm, back to your question, is ThreeOaksWealth.com. We've got a bunch of stuff there. Like I said, we're revamping the site as we sit here and discuss. And I think in six or eight weeks, it'll probably be live. But our clients that we do the best work for are business owners in some kind of transition or business owners who are not sure how and when to take distributions from the business. That's something that we're really good at too. Topic for another day, but we've got all sorts of resources and stuff you can download. My podcast is Grow Money Business. If you Google that, my face
0: will come up in a couple of places. Perfect. So listeners, we are going to put links to all those resources in the show notes. And of course, while you're there, if you haven't already, make sure you download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Building Generational Wealth and Passive Cash Flow through Multifamily Real Estate. Grant, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: My pleasure, Justin.